Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 107. A uh, little bit later in the week than we usually record, but we've been busy all around. Um, no Pepperisha this week. Um, been very busy with his new job. Uh, so instead, it's just myself and Santangelo here. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Milan are off to a good start. So as I say in previous episodes, when Milan are winning, I'm happy. I'm very simple, man. Please. I know you told me I was cranky this morning when I wasn't. You were just like you're sending me a list of like 50 guests. You sat back at me. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. All I said was make a list, fella. And you're like, oh, you're cranky. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just like I can't keep track of all these names. I was like, you gotta make a list. Um, but yeah, no, another good win. Um, more and more faith within the team every single day. But we're going to stick to not too many topics, only around 40 minutes today or so, so we're going to fly through everything. We'll stick with Serie A first. Uh, this was kind of something that Pet and I touched upon uh, last time him and I spoke, and this is about Cuba. Uh, Matt, let's let's break it down for the people who aren't really following as closely within Serie A, but also not following Cuba as closely. I think it's been kind of well documented at this point, the way Cuba have started, especially when everyone loves to check out Cristiano Ronaldo's former team and to see how they're doing without him. Uh, They are currently sitting at, wait, why are they not? Okay. There they are. They're right around one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're in 13th place at the current moment. They they don't have them listed uh, with the list I had. Um, They just got their first win. Matt, listen, Juve fans are going to take away a positive from this because they simply scooped up three points. But if you simply watch that match, you're saying to yourself, that's not the most inspiring of three points that you could possibly have asked for, right? You're away to Spezia, a team that you should be beating. Allegri talked about coming out and beating them. They were down twice in this game. Uh, actually, once in this game. They gave up a lead once again. They come back not only to tie it, but they ended up winning uh, with a delict goal. But they were still seriously under fire. I don't know how much of you caught of that game, but uh, Spezia still had some legitimate chances towards the end of that. That if there was another top team playing Juve, they would have they would have beaten them or at least gotten a result out of that. Juve do get the three points, Matt. I think overall, nothing is encouraging yet. I think one of the few positives you could take away is that Chiesa is still making steady progress and Dybala is slowly coming along after not playing too much last season. But overall, Matt, it's not good enough. It's not even close to it. And they're off to a worse start through five matches, right, than Marco Giampaolo was with his beat. That, just to put that into perspective, Giampaolo got off to a better start. And Matt, they played teams they should have beaten to. It's not like they've had the, the hardest of schedules. So go ahead. Yeah, this is right. These are the matches that, you know, like, like last year, Milan, they had a soft schedule to start. And people can look down on it and diminish the, the work they did. But the fact of the matter is, that's how the schedule played out. And that if you're tossed a couple easy opponents or lighter opponents – and you deem yourself a top four candidate or a top, you know, a title contender, you just, you, you handle those teams and you handle them easily. Right. And that that's the difference here is that Milan didn't have a difficult schedule. You know, even Inter didn't really have a difficult schedule. I mean, they had some, they had Samp, they had Genoa, you know, but these are the points you have to compile. Mm-hmm. Roma's yeah. done a good job of it. I think Napoli as well. And Absolutely. let's face it. You know, yes, it's early. Yes, people can say, well, you know, they, they, they could turn it around, which I think they will. They're not going to be a 12th place team. I don't anticipate that happening. 13th, 13th. Don't oh, forget. 13th. 13th. <laughs> giving too much credit here. Um, 
I had to flip over to the second part of the table today to see where they were at. Um, As sorry, all season. You've been taking digs at Milan for years, so it's it's my turn. Oh, no. um, but yeah, they you know look, they got the they got the result as you mentioned, um, which I mean at this point that's the, the bare minimum that you want. It, it could be sloppy, it could be uninspiring, but that's what Juventus are right now. They just need to get wins and any way and any way they can get them. So the way I look at it is, yes, you have Federico Chiesa who had a really great moment, right? Like there's little spots in this squad that are going to carry them out of this hole that they're in, right? You're going to see mm-hmm. players that are, are very disjointed, players that are in bad form, but then you're going to see players like Chiesa. Then you're going to see players maybe like the Licht. You know, Alexandro mm-hmm. has been very good for them. He was um, overlooked by many people, thought he was over the hill, and his best years were behind him. He looks pretty good. So there have been a couple players that have stood out for me, but it's not the same side that we saw under Allegri in his first term. And at this point in time, we'll have to wait and see how they kind of, you know, respond because now it's a matter of getting the results, but also it, you know, playing to a level that is enticing, convincing, and can reassure the fans that they're going to have their Juventus back, a team that can be taken seriously for the title and in that top four conversation. But um, on the Spezia side, a quick little shout out to um, Giannis Antiste, who a young French forward for, for Spezia. Um, a player that you know, I think Milan were linked in the summer. And he's one of those players where if you're looking for someone maybe in the unknown, that's not in on playing at a big club, but that has the potential to make a big move and there's some buzz around him. Um, he's someone to take a look at because I think, you know, I've, I've seen a lot in the Spezia side over the past couple of weeks. And even, you know, even last year with Vincenzo Italiano um, that, lead me to believe that maybe they're not so much dependent on Italiano because Italiano did really good things with this side to keep them mm-hmm. afloat. But they're a team that's really proving that they have staying power potentially and that that can give fits to some of the bigger clubs just like they did last year in their return campaign to Serie A. Yeah, I mean, you could see it already is evidenced by it. I mean, listen, they got smacked by Lazio. I mean, a draw versus Cagliari, uh, you lose versus Udinese, but and you beat Venezia as you should and give Juve a really good game. They've been shown to be a very difficult matchup. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Shout out to them because everyone kind of wrote them off as like a side that's going to be in the relegation zone. And perhaps that might be true, but I don't think it's as much of a guarantee like some people thought. Uh, but, yeah, back to your Juve point. I think you're right in terms of them being able to get carried for three points in certain games. But if you look at like their upcoming schedule soon, it's kind of scary if if you're a fan of them. Um, because just like look at it straight up. Sampdoria, early morning game on Sunday um, at noon. Uh, then you have Chelsea midweek. Then you have the Derby between Torino. Then you have Roma. Then you have Zenit back in the Champions League. Then it's Derby d'Italia with Inter then Sassuolo, then Verona. Like, that month of October is a real telltale sign of, of the kind of direction that they could be headed in, man. Because, yeah, like, you play Torino in the Derby, but you come back right out of an international break where a good amount of the squad is going to be on international uh, teams, um, despite, you know, them being a slow start. You get Roma there, and then you get right into the swing of things. Like, that's a that's a big deal, you know? Um they could potentially be looking in a really bad spot come, you know, November. And you look at the table, Matt, eight points behind Inter already. 
that's a lot. And, and to me, like Inter are the clear favorites for this title. Odds makers have them as that. Where do we see this over the course of the season where we have Juve, like if they're better, how much better are they going to be? I don't think they're going to be like this side that's a shoe in for top four. I think it's going to be a little bit similar to last year where it's, they're struggling to get into that spot. They're going to be fighting for top four. It's not like chalk Juve in for top four. That's what we're looking at. I don't, I don't think that's the case with them. And I think that's a telltale sign of where they're at and, and the reality of the situation. Sari mentioned it. People didn't want to believe it because they still won the league. Pirlo was kind of alluding to it, and we saw a lot of signs of it, but Cristiano Ronaldo, and they still had enough top-heavy talent to get into the top four. But then you look at this year, and you're like, okay, they got Allegri back. You do lose Ronaldo, which everyone thought they could have easily replaced, which has been proven that, you know, like, Matt, like yesterday, they win easily if they have Ronaldo, right? Like, I, it's like Ronaldo, like, finishes so many of the chances that were happening there. He's so much more of a bigger threat. He helps all these other guys uh, create in other spaces because he is someone that you have to worry about at all times. And I think people are just, Matt, they're making me say Ronaldo's underrated to a point. And that's kind of scary to say. And that's kind of, I guess, what the nine straight titles does to his side like this. It masks a lot of the actual troubles and even the defense. Did you, uh, how much of the game did you catch yesterday? I know because you work a lot. It was midday over here. Um, um, I, I typically will have it on like on the side. Yeah. Uh, so, like I, the, well, so I'm in and out of it. But yeah, like you always. Bonucci got spun. With Juventus, like they're like, even when you feel like they're in a positive moment in the match, their defense is kind of always scrambling. Like there's teams that have that ability to counter on them quickly, which I find is very interesting, right? They don't look like they're organized which is something that defensively you would look at their backline personnel and think sandro as i mentioned playing well delict one of the finest young defenders in world football has a lot of experience bonucci very experienced you're thinking like why do they seem like they're always kind of scrambling to get reshaped and to prevent any sort of danger but martina i, I want to go back to real quick this is my 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 one little closing point um on this juventus discussion right yeah. i think there's a lot going on here with this team to unpack. I want to emphasize the importance for the rest of the big clubs um, in Serie A to take advantage of Juventus's low point here. Because mm. we saw years and years ago, right? I forgot which year it was exactly, but I think 2015 maybe. Oh, with the Pogba team? I think it was Pogba's last year where they were like eighth. Where they were, well, it was Roma and Napoli. They were off to very good starts. And they were, um, they, Juventus was like, way behind and then Juventus came roaring back and they won the title it's a different team yes I understand that but if you're Juventus if you're Inter you're Napoli you're Milan Atalanta Roma Lazio all these teams you have to say Juventus don't have their lack of a better term shit together we got to take advantage and, and yep. really lay it on thick now so we're we're eliminating eliminating them from the equation that's a very important thing because you don't want to give a potential sleeping giant or a team like that second wind, that, that second life. And they kind of haven't so far, honestly, like Milan, good result with missing Inter, players in terrain, Napoli. No, well, no, no, no. I mean, even just like facing them too, because oh, they, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. You know, like the straight up, like three points, but yeah, even taking advantage in like midweek stuff, like, like Napoli, they got the win when they should have, right. Milan got a result when they probably shouldn't have being down a goal. I think it's stuff like that too, because those are those are worth those three points weigh a little bit more 
um, with those results. But I think you're completely correct once again. And the important thing that you've also mentioned as well is that these teams are not scared of them anymore. Like everybody is not scared of Juve like some would be. And especially at home or on the road, people yeah. are teams are walking into into uh the Juventus Allianz, Allianz yeah. Stadium to to play their game to to really impose themselves on the game versus being fearful of an, a mistake or an error or you know that that's typically what does a lot of these smaller teams in and mm-hmm. obviously to a point even some of the bigger sides there's just that fear factor that was there when you would go to a packed Juventus Stadium and they, it was a fortress it was it was almost impossible to take them down in their own yard but it's different. Like we saw what Empoli did. Like there's even yeah. some teams that are really unmasking the vulnerabilities of this Juventus team. And it's been a couple of years in the making. It was under Sadi. Obviously, it was under Andrea Pirlo. And even with Allegri back, we're seeing it under Allegri early on. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so we'll see what happens with them over the course of the season. Um, can't write them off yet because there still has to be some level of respect. But it's not the same Juve size that we've seen the past decade or so. Um, speaking of top sides and, and champions, uh, Inter, uh, this was reported by Fabrizio Romano. He didn't say it's officially done yet, but he's saying it's very, very close to happen next summer on a free transfer. Andrea Onana from Ajax to Inter. Matt, let's face it, Inter and Samir Handanovic, it's kind of been dragged out for a little longer than both sides probably would have liked. Maybe not Samir because he finally got to see a title with a team that he was really good for, you know, earlier in the decade, but this was necessary. The change needed to come in for this side. And now they're getting a really talented goalkeeper on a nothing transfer, a Beppe Morata masterstroke once again. And this is the kind of thing, Matt, that inter need to take to slowly start separating themselves once again from the pack, push forward in the Champions League, get a little bit deeper with a better goalkeeper, not maybe drop some stupid, silly points because Samir Handanovic, his reflexes are way past the point of his prime. So now I think this is exactly what Inter needed. Maybe it's a little too late, quote unquote, not too late. I still think they could win the title without him. But this is like, if you point obviously to Inter starting 11, What's the clear thing they need to upgrade? It's goalkeeper. Yeah. Looks like they're going to be doing that. What are your thoughts on the transfer? I like this a lot. I think you look, you can, you can to your point, you, know, you can look at it and think, well, this should have been done maybe this past summer. Yeah. But I think Inter are smart. They're very calculated, especially Marotta and the way he uh, maneuvers on the market, right, to get these sort of really good free transfer deals. I mean, we all have our opinions of Hakan, but the fact of the matter is that Hakan had some pretty good years, you know, relative to the, what he was getting paid mm. um, at Milan to get a player like that for free without having to pay a transfer fee was very important given their financial position. And then you have this same case, right? You're getting a goalkeeper that probably is around the same age um, as Mike Magnon. Um, Milan got a great goalkeeper. But Onana, I mean, you get Onana in here and he's got Champions League experience he was a goalkeeper that a couple of years ago was like in that conversation as one of the better Best, like yeah. young goalkeepers in the world. Yeah. The, you know, you're talking about a champions league goalkeeper here. So for Inter to essentially secure him a year in advance um, is important. I'm just curious to see how that plays into um, Handanovic, right? Does Handanovic think that okay? I know I'm not going to be. And he's also not playing for Ajax this year. I think it should be noted as yeah, well. Like there's a suspension, yeah. right? You got like a suspension or a ban. Uh, basically, it's just like you know how like a perfect example is like how Milan basically almost threatened Gigi Donnarumma. We're going to sit you in the stands for a year right. if yeah. that's 
that's essentially what's going on with Onana. There's been quotes um, from Ajax hierarchies like, listen, we need guys who want to be here, who want to show up, who want to play. We'll get the adequate people who are going to go in net for us because Ajax is a prideful club. And I totally understand that. And I understand Onana is probably upset with his situation. Listen, for me and us, Matt, this is nothing new with players and relative to their teams and franchises and clubs because this it happen all the time in, in America. So, again, um, might get off to a slow start next year. That's all I got to say. Like, you know, like that, we can't just be expecting a guy to take off for a full year, jump in to the thick of things. So, I mean, it's a little easier if it's a goalkeeper uh, compared to like an I agree. But, you know, yeah, obviously it's new surrounding, new territory. The good news for him is that he – doesn't have to let it linger like he kind of has his mindset on where he's going to be next year so now mm-hmm. it's about you know I'm sure behind the scenes right he's probably learning Italian he's probably seeing how he can get acclimated like what type of style of football do they play you know how is the culture in Italy what style of football is the league overall you know putting out there so there's a lot of things that he can do um, you know on the front end to make sure that on the back end he's he's ready to roll. Yeah, definitely. I think it's another coup for Inter and uh, well on their way to uh, surviving what was a real hectic summer at one point. Um, yeah, so moving on to our next subject, uh, which is Hamas Rodriguez. Matt, real fascinating trajectory of a career, right? Just from the clubs that he's played it for. Bothers what happened? It bothers me, this one, but go on. Yeah, I kind of get the direction you're going with. It bothers me, too, because, one, I wanted him at Milan. I think it would have been a perfect fit. It just seemed like it was career suicide going to Real Madrid, when in all reality we thought it was a great move at the time, right? It's just how you never know what's going to happen with transfers. There was injuries with him. Really, You really thought he was going to be one of the best players in the world during the 2014 World Cup, right? Like – you watch it, you see it, you're like, this is one of the guys of his generation. You think, keep progressing in this direction. Hamas Rodriguez is going to be that guy. Injuries take over, isolations with Real Madrid, going to you know Bayern Munich, having some success there, but not really staying there full-time as a home. And then, you know, Everton move was just a disaster because he wanted to go with Ancelotti. And now he's heading to Gator. I, Matt, it's just... It's a sad career because I still think he has a lot of football left to give, but if Everton or whoever wasn't going to budge, he couldn't get back to to Portugal. He couldn't even make it to Italy in a spot that he wished and said that he could go to. He's now basically going where he's going to get a good salary, but he's going into the abyss and it's no disrespect to those leagues over there. He's become irrelevant now. And it's pretty sad uh, considering his age and talent. Oh, yeah, I don't know if you were saying it. No, 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 yeah, that's it, that's you. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my thought behind this initially, you know, when I've said it, this kind of frustrates me or angers me a little bit, um, was the fact that for everything you just kind of unrolled here, right, the fact that he's had he had opportunities, he had suitors where he could have stayed in Europe, um, which I thought would have been very important for his um, international career, right? You know, the next, next World Cup is very closely approaching us. You know, the fact that he opted to go this route um, is a bit disappointing and, maybe not shocking, right? Because I think the, um, the opportunities to get paid really well abroad are starting to kind of dry up, right? Remember it was the Chinese Super League and, you know, all these, you know, uh, international players going over for, for big fees and they were getting paid a ton of money. And that was the driving force for them going there. Oscar. The first, yeah. Oscar. Uh, Pato went there. Hulk. 
Uh, Graziano Pelle got paid a fortune. He's like one of the Even El Sharabi was there for a little El bit. Sharabi. But that, but El Sharabi, see, here's my, here's my thinking or theory behind this move. Mm-hmm. Like that, we all know Hamas is a good player. When he's, when he's healthy, he's an impactful player. He's a true number 10. He can really dictate a game and he can decide that game. Yeah. But I think there's always, obviously always been that concern surrounding his injury record and whether or not he's able to stay consistent for an entire year. I think this is more of an insurance policy on himself because he knows that he's going to cut or he's going to get paid a ton on the front end, right? Let's say he goes, you know, he gets one year there or two years there. He's getting paid handsomely. He knows he's going to have that security, but I think he's going to follow that sort of same um, uh, journey that El Sharabi did, right? El Sharabi went to, to, to China got mm-hmm. the bag and now he's back at Roma with some years left on him to prove that he still can do it. So I think there's that potential possibility here with Hamas, but I think in the short term for me, just speaking from like a pure football fans perspective, I want to see players like Hamas play in main European competition. That's what I want to see. And it's a little bit disappointing for him to go that route when he could have went to a Napoli taking a little bit less money, maybe a Milan. Same thing with a guy like Isco, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, we don't know the whole entire situation, but we assume it's tied to the amount of wages they make. And they're an Ozil, Ozil at, at Arsenal, right? Mm-hmm. That was a different situation, but you get my point, right? A player mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to be there. The club doesn't really want him, but he knows he's getting paid handsomely. So it's impossible to move that contract. So what they do, they brought him out and now he's at Fenerbahce and he's making a fraction of that. And Bale, Bale's another one. Right, we're looking at this guy like, what's going on here? He makes a ton of money. Decide what you want to do with them. So, I'm hoping that Hamas does come back in the future. But I think what it, this truly mm-hmm. does is a, it rules him out um, from Milan. Obviously, yeah. it rules him out from Napoli because I think the longer he goes into his career, the less likely Milan are going to want to shell out high wages for him. And he's a player that's aging, right? He's going to be, you know, in his 30s, and we all know how Milan feels about players in that sort of age bracket. So. Um, wish him the best. I just wish he would have, you know, uh, opted for maybe a little bit less money. He could. He could have. He easily could have. And you, you know what the thing is? Like, you can't harp on the fact that, you know, we can't make excuses for Hamas about not extending his career. And he chose money at this point. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to protect your family for even generations, you could take the, all the money you want. But at the same time, do not complain about your playing situation and, and lack of winning trophies when you retire because you had the opportunity to take a little bit less to go to another place and you chose not to. That's all I'm saying. And it's not even like a slight because he didn't go to Milan. I'm just is anywhere. If he could have gone to Napoli, uh, back to Portugal, uh, even held back to Monaco or something like that, for example, right? He chose to make his bed and now he has to lie in it. So good for him. Best of luck in uh, the Middle East where he will be. Uh, playing his football for the foreseeable future. Matt, I was fascinated by this uh, when you texted me as a topic. So I'm like, all right, um, why the hell is Ole uh, another topic again with Manchester United? What did he do now? And he's like, they want him out again. There's another campaign for Ole out (laughs) with, with Manchester United fans. One week, you guys love this motherfucker. The next week, you're not too fond of him and you want him out. You know what that tells me, Matt? If you have to constantly do this shit with somebody, he's probably not good enough. Yeah, exactly. He's not good enough. He's never been good enough. He's been masking so much of this. He's been he's been mediocre at best. All right. Let's just call it what it is. Can't even win a Europa League. 
hasn't won a trophy, I don't think, with Manchester United. That's how far the standard has fallen, Matt, with that club, right? And even though they've been improving a lot, they're kind of making Champions League consistently. They need to get out of their group. They had they lost a young boys already, too. Um, had a poor fixture over the weekend where Pet was livid about the VAR situation. And I'm sure a lot of the people are, especially our UK listeners. I mean, the guy's not a good manager. And especially for Manchester United. Like, who are we kidding here? Who are we kidding here, Matt, that we're trying to force ourselves for how many years in a row? Well, well, when Ole first came here, he didn't have enough talent to succeed. Okay, fine. Get him enough talent. Can you win the FA Cup? You can't even win the goddamn FA Cup, can you? You know, Emery, I'm pretty sure, won it. Didn't he, Matt? But Ole can't? I don't understand why there are so many excuses over the course of time for Ole Gunnar to, you know, succeed with Manchester United. And he's failed miserably. And this is also a failure of the club for not appointing a proper manager when they've had multiple times to do so. Allegri was out there that they could have signed. They could have gotten even Pochettino, who Pochettino, yeah, granted, he's probably overrated at this point. Um, they got rid of Jose Mourinho, who's who's done a pretty decent job and who carried them to second place and wasn't given the opportunity to get a better squad in there as well. But I digress with that. And guess who's out there right now? He might be wanting to take, take a sabbatical, but he was out there prior to that. And that was Antonio Conte. Manchester United can't complain about the managerial situation or their fans can't because you have to blame the management to begin with. They're not even doing a good enough job to try and upgrade at that position. They're doing everything they can to spend money on all the players, but it's evident, it's evident that this guy is not working. You see what Chelsea does. They cut the cord quickly on Frank Lampard if standards are not up to par. Bring in Thomas Tuchel. They win another Champions League and are now, Matt, one Champions League behind Manchester United all time. Think about that. One. It's almost, it's almost like you're when you if you, if if you have someone who just got into high school or to driver's ed, right? <laughs> they don't have their license, but you're flipping them the keys to a nice BMW, and you're like, oh yeah, it's got the bells and whistles, it's got all the tech, it's got the mm. new tire, it's got all that stuff. But who's the driver? Who's the guy behind the wheel steering the ship? Right? We always hear Ali's at the wheel. You know that that real Ferdinand <laughs> at the wheel. He's back. So funny. Back, right? So funny. <laughs> um, I, I, I agree. I think that there have been moments, look, that Ali has looked like the guy, um, but how how short-lived were they, right? I think there was moments last year where you're like, all right, maybe they do have their guy. Maybe a guy that previously played for the club can be the one that gets Manchester United back to um, once historic heights. Yeah. The more I watch this team and the more players they get of great quality, the, real, the more I realize that he's not the guy to manage that quality. It's a lot of personalities. It's a lot mm-hmm. of talent. You see how things are going on with kind of Donny Van de Beek, right? Like it, it takes a lot to manage. $50 million transfer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I think what we could potentially see, again, we'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. It's still, you know, early. But what, would, it, would it surprise you if we see something similar to what Chelsea did last year where – they got to push that button at the right moment if they're going to salvage anything from the season. Chelsea spent a ton of money. They knew Lampard wasn't the guy, and they made that move to get Tuchel in there, and the rest yeah. was history, right? They but who's your guy? Who's your guy? What was that? Who's Who would be at the top of your list as your guy? Hypothetical. Like, I don't yeah, think Conte is going to do it. it Conte, but I think I... the problem with Conte is that mid-season, it's really exactly. hard to to get someone of that that caliber and profile in there. Allegri's had opportunities, you know, years prior before he took the Juventus job. And there's something about 
having that sort of power in your own court if you're a manager of that caliber because you know that I could have my pick of the litter. I'm Antonio Conte. I have, I'm very accomplished. I know what I did at Inter. I know what I did at Juve, Chelsea, the Thai national team for a short, for a brief time. So now you have that opportunity where you're like, you know, I want to pick the opportunity and the timing of that opportunity that's best for me. Not when you need me, when I choose is the best time and I can do the best job possible. So that's the interesting thing. Tuchel was obviously unemployed at the time when Chelsea brought him in. Mm. Conte is the same thing. But Conte just got a nice fat severance. He's probably sitting somewhere very nice, cozy in Italy. So I don't think there's necessarily a lot of pressure for him to jump into this. And he stated that, too, that he wants to take the sabbatical. I think he's going to. I think he's going. You look at his Instagram. The guy's just on the beach. The guy always bitches about needing preseason all the time to have the time with the squad. He's a a madman when it comes to his training regimens and his preparation. So I just don't see him being the type of guy that it's going to come into a team midstream. He's going to want his guys. He's always going to want his guys. Do do all these players fit into his system too? It's like, you know what I'm saying? They got to... I don't know if it's a great fit. Also with Cristiano Ronaldo, I'd, that'd be fascinating to watch uh, Conte and him. Um, if he wasn't getting along with Allegri, I don't know how he's going to get along with Conte. <laughs> um, yeah. So any final thoughts on Manchester? Uh, if Ole, does he survive the season at Manchester United? I'll end it with that no. question. No, no, because the expectations are high. And for them to be kind of flirting with top four or being a top four team versus being like a lock to finish top four and shoot for a title is unacceptable given that they got Sancho. They got went out there and got Ronaldo. They did get Rafael Varane. Like chop, if, chop, if, chop. If you're chop, not, if you're, if United is not first at the end of the Champions League group stage, he needs to be sacked. Nothing less to, left yeah. to say about that. Yeah, they don't, just, they don't, yeah. I mean, if they don't get out of, but he doesn't go out. No, 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 no. He, if he does not get out, he's he's toast. But I'm saying, like, this, that group, the standards first. Um, so, yeah, final thing. Um, another place that Antonio Conte was linked with, Cristiano Ronaldo's former club, the biggest club in the world, Real Madrid, and Karim Benzema. You want to talk about his incredibly hot start to the season. Talk about a guy that has had his legacy elevated since Cristiano Ronaldo left. Um, I think personally that the guy is a real, again, I always say this litmus test kind of player where, you know, you either love him or hate him. You either think he's actually really good or you find him overrated. There's a good amount of people within the football Twitter space or just football opinionated space that think he's overrated. I think he's awesome. I, I think like there's enough evidence at this point without Cristiano Ronaldo prior to Cristiano Ronaldo that he's a really good player. And he's, and he's one of the best strikers in the world. And honestly, man, I think it's gotten to a point that he's probably the most underrated striker in the world. At this, like, and I understand the Real Madrid fan base is like so like massive. Every time you talk about the number nine situation, and I've been guilty of this too, Benzema's name's always one of those guys that seems to get left off. Everyone's like Lukaku, Lewandowski, uh, you know, Erling Holland at this point, um, and, and, and others down the line too, uh, Luis Suarez. Uh, sorry. He kind of gets in the back end of that conversation. But in reality, given his Champions League goal-scoring record, what he does at Real Madrid, he's a top, top strike. And, he's, and longevity matters to me, at least. It does. It does. How does it not? That have that very that recency bias, and they look at, like, what have you done for me lately? And in, ter- in, certain, in certain situations, yes, you can apply that. But 
I look at Benzema, right, and his his just career in general, his body of work, right, it's it's impressive. And I, I'll say this: he he arrived to Real Madrid in two thousand nine. Um, I'm reading off the stats here: five hundred eighty seven appearances, two hundred and ninety five goals. He's like this guy's been top, top, top for a decade, decade more, despite having to, you know, see you know play under Ronaldo in, in Ronaldo's shadow, shadow, and all those years with they have Ronaldo and then they go get Benzema. A lot, I mean, uh, Bale, excuse me. Benzema was kind of one of those guys where he never, it never really felt quite like his team and that he was never going to really get that opportunity to have it made be his team. But you're starting to see at 33 years old, him like, and we're obviously with, with Ramos and Varane leaving. This is Kareem Benzema's Real Madrid right now, at least until Kylian Mbappe joins. And even then, you know, you know, damn well Mbappe is going to train under Benzema, and thinking like this guy's a this guy's a legend. So there's there's a certain respect factor there. His his stats this year, Martino, so far, mm-hmm. a nuts, a nuts, six six matches, eight goals, seven assists, striker. <laughs> I got fifteen goal contributions in six matches. That's nuts. That's crazy. In any league, I don't care. It could no, be, matter, it yeah. could be the Sunday league. Those are good. Those are fantastic numbers. So when me from a, a Lewandowski homer is hyping up Benzema this much, it's warranted. It's deserved. I I always just kind of side at Lewandowski. I have a bias, and and I think I have a fair bias there because Lewandowski is great in his own right. But again, as I mentioned, that longevity means so much to me when I'm saying that you're one of the best. I apply the same thing with Lewandowski. I apply the same thing with Luis Suarez, Ronaldo, Messi. Guys, if you can do it for one year, that's awesome. You could have a you could have a, a, a fluke year. You could do it for a decade. You're you're you deserve that and command that respect. And that's what I give Benzema here. I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, seven seven assists like Matt within a season Ridiculous. as a striker a would striker be would be awesome. Time. Yeah, it would be awesome. You would take that every single time. We're in September still. <laughs> like, good lord, good lord. Um, just don't do it for France, man. I don't care what you do for Real Madrid at this point. Yeah. That's good. Good on you. Keep on going. Um, I see him back in the France for, uh, the France conversation though too. Like he he was that that like I, that was upsetting for a long time. But like Ben's like Ben's one of the premier strikers in world football, playing at one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club. Um, to not have that international stage afforded to him. I'm glad that he's he he's on that international stage again, because this guy's got a lot of years left in him, and he's he's a force, man. Real Madrid are a little bit better than I thought they were going to be. Like honestly, like credit to Ancelotti right now. By the way, like just to, like if you want to stay on the to- on the topic of Real Madrid too, like kudos to Karim Benzema, kudos to to everything and every other player. Like Asensio got his hat trick, first ever one for Real Madrid. But I thought this was really going to be a shoo-in for Atletico Madrid. Right now we're looking at it. Two draws already for Atletico. Real Madrid's in first with 16. Barca, man. Yeah, we could we could just talk about it for a little bit too, I think. We got like another few minutes so we could kind of discuss this. Ronald Koeman. I mean, he was never it. Everyone knew that he wasn't it. We're looking at, they've only played four matches, granted. But eight points, two wins, two draws. The football's been lacking. There was a certain point where PK was up top as one of the forwards for them. Matt, like, 
dumpster fire. I said, I said this. I said this when it happened, when Messi left. And I even said if that was that potential possibility. I said it on this podcast with Pat. I said they're not making top four. Still could potentially be possible that they do make it. They might have enough quality. But good God, they're dog shit. They suck. They're not good enough, man. And I don't want to hear it about it. Um, this is not a good side especially for Barcelona standards. And people slowly need to start grasping that. There's still talent on that team. Understand they could do some damage. They could win some bigger matches. I still even think they can get out of the group in the Champions League. But at the same, which they would finish second, not a chance in hell, they top Bayern in that group. Matt, this is, this is what I expected from Barca, though, honestly. And I just don't know if firing Ronald Koeman is the right move at this point in time, because who are you going to take and bring in here? That's going to be good. With it. Like, like who, who is, the, who, who is the guy that yeah, you bring in here them to make a decision? Like if you're like, like what Milan did, right? Like they knew when they hired Marco Giampaolo, they, they thought he was their guy and quickly early on, they realized he wasn't their guy. So then they, they, they admitted their mistake and corrected it. Barcelona is not correcting it. And that that's a reflection on the fact that, there's just no trust. There's no confidence from the fans in the people at the top making these decisions to get the right guy in there. If they chose to make the right decision in firing Coleman, like there's levels to this. It's it's not like yes, we fought, we were hired the wrong guy. We're we're, we're sorry. We're gonna we're gonna fix this. And we're gonna get someone in there who is worthy to be the coach of this club. Like I don't even trust them that even if they did fire him, that the, the guy coming in would be a good guy, a good hire. That's where we've come to. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening to think because we've seen some of the best football ever in our generation with mm-hmm. Barcelona in years yep. past. Like yep. Matt, Messi, all the names. I don't have to go through. And then you see – Even Tata Martino's teams as well. Like yeah. 100 points. Barcelona, you're like, wait a second. There's no way this is the same team. Like this has got to be like uh, another Barcelona from the same area, like a different team. Like Barcelona – like one of those like PES teams, right? They renamed the team like Catalonia, uh, Piemonte Calcio. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then you look and you're like, oh, they had some names, but it's there's no identity and there's a lot mm-hmm. of individualistic performances and players that you can give me Griezmann, you can give me Pedri in a different squad. They're probably good, but you see it, right? Like you can bring in money doesn't do everything because Griezmann's already he already left. Dembele. Poor Pedri, that kid's going to be overrun. He's he's fantastic. I mean, he already looks like he's going to be running to the ground, bro. Frankie Dijon, love Frankie Dijon. But it's just the individualism in this squad is is very, very prevalent. And I just don't know when we're going to see Barcelona be Barcelona again. Maybe not for a very long time, the way these people are. Very long time, because, because you want to know what it is. It's not even about Barcelona being able to afford something, Matt. It's about Barcelona being a great situation for somebody to come into. Because you know what I'm most worried about that could potentially happen? Bringing in Xavi and fucking ruining that guy before he has a chance to be a good manager. That's what I'm worried about with Barca, where they go down that path, like Milan, where you hire former players that maybe have some potential to be a good manager one day. You thrust him in there. Hey, it's Xavi. He's back. He reminds us of those pep years and, and winning the trebles and, and all these Champions League trophies and the most successful era in the club's history. Let's bring him in as manager. Do they have the guys that want to go there? Do they have a, our, our top players, Matt, 
going to have the opportunity to win the Champions League with Barcelona like they used to be able to. That, I don't think, is going to be a thing for them for quite some time. And that's the timer. Amazing timing. Um, but yes, I, I think I think Barca is in uh, bigger trouble than we'd like to lead on. Uh, we do only have one ad, I think, at this point um, to do. So we just want to get to that. Obviously, we are a podcast sponsored by So Rare. It is a global blockchain fantasy game. So Rare is a fantasy game of soccer or culture or football where players buy, sell, and train and manage a virtual team with digital player cards. If you use our link, you get five new cards and buy five new cards from the primary market, both individual cards and bundles. Then you get one card for free. So head on over to sorare.pxf.io backslash SO. Um, Pet, every single day, asking us who's Milan starting with, uh, with this stuff, who, who's going to get in and uh, be the guy that uh, plays there. He's listened to our advice so far. He was even asking about Abanez from Roma. So trying to give him. Uh, the best advice possible. Matt, pack up his, his squad with Serie A guys. He is. He is. I helped him do a preview. I think I had Brahim Diaz, Sandro Tonali, Federico Di Marco. We're just three of the names in there. And right now, Petch probably should have been making a lot of money considering the, the players that I told him to get. Sandro Tonali and Brahim Diaz are Milan's two Tomori, best players. Tomori, your tail. He did Tomori. Yeah, yeah. We told him Tomori, but he wanted breakout players. I Like, you know, Tomori was already a known commodity, especially by him. Oh. That's that's one he should have known by then. Um, if not, he's a fraud. Um, but yes, um, plug your social media, brother. Um, as we know. Sure. Follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Have a lot of content coming your way via Football Italia. So anything regarding that will be posted on my Twitter. Follow at State of Play Pod, of course, at State of Play Pod. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Support me and Martino on Twitch, Milan Reports, um, com. <laughs> and I said that really awkwardly, but <laughs> at Milan Reports, com on Twitter. Follow us on Twitch, Milan Reports, and our newly created YouTube channel, subscribe and uh thank you for the support yeah um definitely go over there the youtube channel is slowly growing everything gets uploaded over there post-match pre-match um and just the regular old podcast that we do on twitch which is awesome to see um check out my work within the athletic as well uh, separate from that hopefully uh we win for the state of play we really appreciate everyone that came out and voted for us within uh instagram twitter every other uh portion of social media and yeah, you just follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Very close to 3K followers. Uh, I think I'm like 60 away or something like that. So I'm very happy with that um, and excited for Champions League to return next week. Matt, last team to play Milan at the San Siro in the Champions League, Atletico Madrid. The first team Milan play back in the Champions League at San Siro. Atletico Madrid. I, yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, I know that lineup. They don't. The they don't want to know that lineup. They don't want to know that lineup. The listeners do not want to know that lineup. Um, but yes, other than that, thank you guys so much for supporting and listening to the podcast. Um, other than that, you listen to some more. Keep. <laughs>